0: Chapter Three, Part One: of Pointed Roofs by Dorothy Richardson. The Sleeperbox recording is in the public domain. Section One: Miriam was practicing on the piano in the larger of the two English bedrooms. Two other pianos were sounding in the house: one across the landing, and the other in the sal where Herr Kapellmeister Bosenberger was giving a music lesson the rest of the girls were gathered in the large schoolroom under the care of mademoiselle for saturday's raccommodage it was the last hour of the week's work presently there would be a great gonging the pianos would cease fraulein's voice would sound up through the house anziein zum ausgehen there would be the walk dinner the saturday afternoon home letters to be written and then until monday holiday freedom to read and to talk english and idle and there was a new arrival in the house ulrica hesse had come miriam had seen her there had been three large leather trunks in the hall and a girl with a smooth pure oval of pale face standing wrapped in dark furs gazing about her with eyes for which miriam had no word liquid limpfit, great saucers no pools great round deeps she had felt about for something to express them as she went upstairs with her roll of music frulein pfaff who had seemed to hover and smile about the girl as if half afraid to speak to her had put out a hand for miriam and said almost deprecatingly ach mm, dies ist unser ulrica the girl's thin fingers had come out of her furs and fastened convulsively like cold throbbing claws on the breadth of miriam's hand unsere englische lehrerin our teacher from england smiled frulein lehrerin breathed the girl something flinched behind her great eyes the fingers relaxed, and Miriam feeling within her a beginning of response, had gone upstairs. As she reached the upper landing she began to distinguish against the clangor of chromatic passages assailing the house from the echoing sal, the gentle tones of the nearer piano, the one in the larger German bedroom opposite the front room for which she was bound. She paused for a moment at the top of the stairs and listened. A little swaying melody came out to her. Muted by the closed door, her grasp on the roll of music slackened. A radiance came for a moment behind the gravity of her face. Then the careful, unstumbling repetition of a difficult passage drew her attention to the performer. Her arms dropped to her sides, and she passed on. It was little Bergmann, the youngest girl in the school. Her playing on the bad old piano in the dark dressing-room in the basement had prepared Miriam for the difference between the performance of these German girls and nearly all the piano playing she had heard. It was the morning after her arrival. She had been unpacking and had taken, on the advice of Mademoiselle, her heavy boots and outdoor things down to the basement-room she had opened the door on emma sitting at the piano in her blue and buff check ribbon knotted stuffed dress miriam had expected her to turn her head and stop playing but as arms full she closed the door with her shoulders the child's profile remained unconcerned she noticed the firmly poised head the thick creamy neck that seemed bare with its absence of collar band and the soft frill of tucker stitched right on to the dress the thick cable of string-colored hair reaching just beyond the rim of the leather-covered music-stool the steel-headed points of the little slippers gleaming as they worked the pedals the serene eyes steadily following the music she played on and miriam recognized a quality she had only heard occasionally at concerts and in the playing of one of the music teachers at school she had stood amazed pretending to be fumbling for empty pegs as this round-faced child of fourteen went her way to the end of her page then miriam had ventured to interrupt and to ask her about the hanging arrangements and the child had risen and speaking softly south german had suggested and poked tiptoeing about amongst the thickly hung garments and shown a motherly solicitude over the disposal of miriam's things miriam noted the easy range of the child's voice how smoothly it slid from bird-like queries and chirpings to the consoling tones of the lower register it seemed to leave undisturbed the softly rounded faintly mottled chin and cheeks and the full, unpouting lips that lay quietly one upon the other before she spoke, and opened flexibly but somehow hardly moved to her speech, and afterwards closed again gradually, until they lay softly blossoming as before. Emma had gathered up her music when the clothes were arranged, sighing and lamenting gently. Bar ignor zuhause, how happy one was at home her little voice filled with tears and her cheeks flushed happy happy to home she complained as she slid her music into its case were all so good so nice so beautiful and they had gone side by side up the dark uncarpeted stone stairs leading from the basement to the hall halfway up emma had given miriam a shy firm hug "'and then gone decorously up the remainder of the flight. "'The sense of that sudden little embrace recurred often to Miriam "'during the course of the first day. "'It was unlike any contact she had known, "'more motherly than her mother's. "'Neither of her sisters could have embraced her like that. "'She did not know that a human form could bring such a sense of warm nearness "'that human contours could be eloquent.' or anyone so sweetly daring section two that first evening at waldstrasse there had been a performance that had completed the transformation of miriam's english ideas of music she had caught the word vorspielen being bandied about the long tea-table and had gathered that there was to be an informal playing of pieces before frulein faf she welcomed the event it relieved her from the burden of being in high focus the relief had come as soon as she took her place at the gas-lit table no eye seemed to notice her the english girls having sat out two meal-times with her had ceased the hard-eyed observation which had made the long silence of the earlier repasts only less embarrassing than fraulein's questions about england the four germans who had neither stared nor even appeared aware of her existence talked cheerfully across the table in a general exchange that included tall frulein Pfaff, smiling her hoarse smile miriam provisionally called it behind the tea-urn as chairman the six english-speaking girls grouped as it were towards their chief a dark-skinned athletic-looking australian with hot brown slightly bloodshot eyes sitting as vice-president opposite fraulein joined occasionally in solo and chorus and miriam noted with relief a unanimous atrocity of accent in their enviable fluency rapid sotto voce commentary and half-suppressed wordless by-play located still more clearly the english quarter animation flowed and flowed Miriam safely ignored, scarcely heeding, but warmed and almost happy, basked. She munched her black bread and butter, liberally smeared with the rich, savoury paste of liver sausage, and drank her sweet, weak tea, and knew that she was very tired, sleepy and tired. She glanced from her place next to Emma Bergmann, and on Fräulein's left hand, down the table, to where Mademoiselle sat next the Martins, in similar relation to the Vice-President. Mademoiselle, preceding her up through the quiet house, carrying the jugs of hot water, had been her first impression on her arrival the previous night. She had turned when they reached the candle-lit attic, with its high uncurtained windows and red-covered box-beds, and standing on one strip, of matting in her full-skirted black quincy dress with its neat triple row of black ribbon velvet near the hem had shown miriam's steel-blue eyes smiling from a little triangular sprite-like face under a high standing poof of soft dark hair and said voila miriam had never imagined anything in the least like her she had said oh thank you and taken the jug and had hurriedly and silently got to bed weighed down by wonders they had begun to talk in the dark miriam had reaped sweet comfort in learning that this seemingly unreal creature who was she soon perceived not educated as she understood education was the resident french governess was seventeen years old and a protestant such close quarters with a French girl was bewildering enough. Had she been a Roman Catholic, Miriam felt she could not have endured her proximity. She was evidently a special kind of French girl, a Protestant from East France, besanon Besanon, Miriam had tried the pretty word over until unexpectedly she had fallen asleep they had risen hurriedly in the cold march gloom and miriam had not spoken to her since there she sat dainty and quiet and fresh white frillings shone now at the neck and sleeves of her little grey dress she looked a clean and clear miniature against the general dauby effect of the english girls poor though miriam was sure perhaps as poor as she she felt glad as she watched her gentle, sprite-like wistfulness that she would be upstairs in that great bare attic again to-night. In repose her face looked pinched. There was something about the nose and mouth, Miriam mused. Frugal. John Gilpin's wife. How sleepy she was. Section 3 The conversation was growing boisterous she took courage to raise her head towards the range of girls opposite to her those quite near to her she could not scrutinize some influence coming to her from these german girls prevented her risking with them any meeting of the eyes that was not brought about by direct speech but she felt them she felt emma Bergmann's warm plump presence close at her side and liked to take food handed by her she was conscious of the pink bulb of mina bloom's nose shining just opposite to her and of the way the light caught the blonde sheen of her exquisitely coiled hair as she turned her always smiling face and responded to the louder remarks with "Oh, thou dear god or is it possible how charming charming or what in life dost thou say rascal next to her was the faint glare of elsa spirer's silent sallowness her clear threaded nimbus of pallid hair was the lowest point in the range of figures across the table she darted quick glances at one and another without moving her head and miriam felt that her pale eyes fully met would be cunning and malicious after elsa the english began with judy miriam guessed when she heard her ask for brodkin that she was scotch she sat slightly askew and ate eagerly stooping over her plate with smiling mouth and downcast heavily freckled face unless spoken to she did not speak but she laughed often a harsh involuntary laugh immediately followed by a drowning flush when she was not flushed her eyelashes shone bright black against the unstained white above her cheekbones she had coarse fuzzy red-brown hair miriam decided that she was negligible next to judy were the martins they were as english as they could be she felt she must have noticed them a good deal at breakfast and dinner-time without knowing it her eyes after one glance at the claret-coloured merino dresses with hard white collars and cuffs came back to her plate as from a familiar picture she still saw them sitting very upright side by side with the front strands of their hair strained smoothly back tied just on the crest of the head with brown ribbon and going down in rats tails to join the rest of their hair which hung straight and flat halfway down their backs the elder was dark with thick shoulders and heavy features her large expressionless rich brown eyes flashed slowly and reflected the light they gave miriam a slight feeling of nausea she felt she knew what her hands were like without looking at them the younger was thin and pale and slightly hollow-cheeked she had pale eyes cold like a fish thought miriam they both had deep hollow voices when she glanced again they were watching the australian with their four strange eyes and laughing german phrases at her go on gertrude are you sure gertrude how do you know miriam had not yet dared to glance in the direction of the australian her eyes at dinner-time had cut like sharp steel Turning, however, towards the danger zone, without risking the coming of its presiding genius within the focus of her glasses, she caught a glimpse of Jimmy, sitting back in her chair, tall and plump and neat, and shaking with wide-mouthed giggles. Miriam wondered at the high peak of hair on the top of her head and stared at her pearly little teeth. There was something funny about her mouth even when she strained it wide it was narrow and tiny gravity she raised a short arm and began patting her peak of hair with a tiny hand which showed a small onyx seal ring on the little finger ask judy she giggled in a fruity squeak ask judy they all chorused laughing judy cast an appealing flash of her eyes sideways at nothing flushed furiously and mumbled weiß Nick I don't know. In the outcries and laughter which followed, Miriam noticed only the hoarse hacking laugh of the Australian. Her eyes flew up the table and fixed her as she sat laughing, her chair drawn back, her knees crossed. Tea was drawing to an end. The detail of her terrifyingly stylish, ruddy-brown frieze dress, with its Norfolk jacket bodice and its shiny black leather belt, was hardly distinguishable from the dark background made by the folding doors. But the dreadful outline of her shoulders was visible. The squarish oval of her face shone out. The wide forehead, from which the wiry black hair was combed to a high puff, the red eyes, black now, the long straight nose, the wide laughing mouth with the enormous teeth. Her voice conquered easily. Nine, she tromboned through the din. Mademoiselle's little finger stuck up sharply like a steeple. Her mouth said, Oh-oh. smile was at its widest, waiting the issue. Nine triumphed the Australian. Causing a lull. Lisa, Kinder, Lisa, do some gently," chided Frulein, still smiling. Herman, yes," proceeded the Australian. "Aver Hugo, nay." Miriam heard it agreed in the end that someone named Hugo did not wear a moustache, though someone named Herman did. She was vaguely shocked and interested section four after tea the great doors were thrown open and the girls filed into the saal it was a large high room furnished like a drawing-room enough settees and easy-chairs to accommodate more than all the girls the polished floor was uncarpeted save for an archipelago of mats and rugs in the wide circle of light thrown by the four-armed chandelier a grand piano was pushed against the wall in the far corner of the room between the farthest of the three high french windows and the shining pillar of porcelain stove section five the high room the bright light the plentiful mirrors the long sweep of lace curtains the many faces the girls seemed so much more numerous scattered here than they had when collected in the schoolroom brought miriam the sense of the misery of social occasions she wondered whether the girls were nervous she was glad that music lessons were no part of her remuneration she thought of dreadful experiences of playing before people The very first time at home when she had played a duet with Eve, Eve playing a little running melody in the treble, her own part a page of minims. The minims had swollen until she could not see whether they were lines or spaces, and her fingers had been so weak after the first unexpectedly loud note that she could hardly make any sound. Eve had said louder, and her fingers had suddenly stiffened, and she had worked them from her elbows, like sticks at the end of her trembling wrists and hands. Eve had noticed her dreadful movements and resented being elbowed. She had heard nothing then but her hard, loud minims till the end, and then as she stood dizzily up, someone had said she had a nice firm touch, and she had pushed her angry way from the piano across the hearthrug. rug She should always remember the clear, red-hot mass of the fire, and the bottle of green chartreuse, warming on the blue and cream tiles. There were probably only two or three guests, but the room had seemed full of people, stupid people who had made her play. How angry she had been with Eve for noticing her discomfiture, and with the forgotten guest for her silly remark she knew she had simply poked the piano then there had been the annual school concert all the girls almost unrecognizable with fear she had learned her pieces by heart for those occasions and played them through with trembling limbs and burning eyes alternately thumping with stiff fingers and feeling her whole hand faint from the wrist on to the notes which fumbled and slurred into each other almost soundlessly until the thumping began again at the musical evenings organized by eve as a winter set off to the tennis club she had both played and sung hoping each time afresh to be able to reproduce the effects which came so easily when she was alone or only with eve but she could not discover the secret of getting rid of her nervousness only twice had she succeeded at the last school concert when she had been too miserable to be nervous and mr strood had told her she did him credit and once she had sung chanson de florian in a way that had astonished her own listening ear the notes had laughed and thrilled out into the air and come back to her from the wall behind the piano the day before the tennis tournament Section 6. The girls were all settling down to fancy work. The white-cuffed hands of the Martins were already jerking crochet-needles. Faces were bending over fine embroideries, and Minna Bloom had trundled a mounted lace pillow into the brighter light. Miriam went to the schoolroom and fetched from her work-basket a piece of canvas partly covered with red and black wool in diamond pattern, that was her utmost experience of fancy work. As she returned, she half saw Fräulein Pfaff sitting as if enthroned on a high-backed chair in front of the centermost of the mirrors, filling the wall-spaces between the long French windows, signal to her to come to that side of the room. Timorously ignoring the signal, she got herself into a little low chair in the shadow of the half-closed swing-door. AND WAS SPREADING OUT HER WOOLWORK ON HER KNEES WHEN THE FORCE BEGAN. EMMA Bergman WAS PLAYING. THE SINGLE NOTES OF THE OPENING MOTIF OF CHOPIN'S FIFTEENTH NOCTURNE FELL PENSIVELY INTO THE WAITING-ROOM. MIRIAM, HER FATIGUE FORGOTTEN, SLID TO A FEATURELESS FREEDOM. IT SEEMED TO HER THAT THE LIGHT WITH WHICH THE ROOM WAS FILLED GREW BRIGHTER AND CLEARER. She felt that she was looking at nothing, and yet was aware of the whole room like a picture in a dream. Fear left her. The human forms all round her lost their power. They grew suffused and dim. The pensive swing of the music changed to urgency and emphasis. It came nearer and nearer. It did not come from the candlelit corner where the piano was it came from everywhere it carried her out of the house out of the world it hastened with her on and on toward great brightness everything was growing brighter and brighter gertrude goldring the australian was making noises with her hands like inflated paper bags being popped miriam clutched her wool needle and threaded it she drew the wool through her canvas one three five three one and longed for the piano to begin again section seven clara bergman followed miriam watched her as she took her place at the piano how square and stout she looked and old careworn like a woman of forty she had high square shoulders and high square hips her brow was low and her face thin and broad and flat her eyes were like the eyes of a dog and her thin-lipped mouth long and straight until it went steadily down at the corners she wore a large fringe like harriet's and a thin coil of hair filled the nape of her neck she played without music her face lifted boldly the notes rang out in a prelude of unfinished phrases the kind, Miriam noted, that had so annoyed her father in what he called newfangled music. She felt it was going to be a brilliant piece, fireworks, execution, style, and sat up self-consciously and fixed her eyes on Clara's hands. Can you see the hands? she remembered having heard someone say at a concert. How easily they moved! Clara still sat back, her face raised to the light. The notes rang out like trumpet calls as her hands dropped with an easy fling and sprang back and dropped again. What loose wrists she must have, thought Miriam. The clarion notes ceased. There was a pause. Clara threw back her head. A faint smile flickered over her face. Her hands fell gently and the music came again pianissimo swinging in an even rhythm it flowed from those clever hands a half-indicated theme with a gentle steady throbbing undertow miriam dropped her eyes she seemed to have been listening long that wonderful light was coming again she had forgotten her sewing when presently she saw slowly circling fading and clearing first its edge, and then, for a moment, the whole thing. Dripping, dripping as it circled. A weed-grown mill-wheel. She recognized it instantly. She had seen it somewhere as a child, in Devonshire, and never thought of it since. And there it was. She heard the soft swish and drip of the water and the low humming of the wheel. How beautiful! it was fading she held it it returned clearer this time and she could feel the cool breeze it made and sniff the fresh earthy scent of it the scent of the moss and the weeds shining and dripping on its huge rim her heart filled she felt a little tremor in her throat all at once she knew that if she went on listening to that humming wheel and feeling the freshness of the air she would cry she pulled herself together and for a while saw only a vague radiance in the room and the dim forms grouped about she could not remember which was which all seemed good and dear to her the trumpet notes had come back and in a few moments the music ceased someone was closing the great doors from inside the schoolroom as the side behind which she was sitting swung slowly to she caught a glimpse through the crack of four boys with close-cropped heads sitting at the long table the gas was out and the room was dim but a reading lamp in the centre of the table cast its light on their bowed heads Section eight. The playing of the two Martins brought back the familiar feeling of English self-consciousness. Solomon, the elder one, sat at her Beethoven sonata. An adagio movement, with a patch of dull crimson on the pallor of the cheek she presented to the room. But she played with a heavy fervor, preserving throughout the characteristic marching staccato of the bass, and gave unstinted value to the shading of each phrase she made miriam feel nervous at first and then as she went triumphantly forward and let herself go so tremendously traction engine thought miriam in the heavy fortissimos, a little ashamed of such expression coming from english hands the feeling of shame lingered as the younger sister followed with a spirited vivace her hollow-cheeked pallor remained unstained but her thin lips were set and her hard eyes were harder she played with determined nonchalance and an extraordinarily facile rapidity and miriam's uneasiness changed insensibly to the conviction that these girls were learning in germany not to be ashamed of playing with expression all the things she had heard mr strood who had as the school's prospectus declared been educated in leipzig preach and implore style expression phrasing light and shade these girls were learning picking up from these wonderful germans they did not do it quite like them though they did not think only about the music they thought about themselves too miriam believed she could do it as the germans did she wanted to get her own music and play it as she had always dimly known it ought to be played and hardly ever dared perhaps that was how it was with the english they knew but they did not dare No. The two she had just heard playing were, she felt sure, imitating something, but hers would be no imitation. She would play as she wanted to one day in this German atmosphere. She wished now she were going to have lessons. She had, in fact, had a lesson, but she wanted to be alone and to play, or perhaps with someone in the next room listening perhaps she would not have even the chance of practicing End of chapter 3 part 1